0: Hello and welcome to this brand new one-up pod show, The Retro Reboot, where we go back and take a look at the nostalgia that is retro games and just basically talk about them and fawn over them because that's one of the things we love to do is fawn over games and why not give retro games that much deserved spotlight. But not just that, but also look into what it could be like if some of our favourite franchises could actually return to a modern landscape. Ooh, mystery. (laughs) (laughs) So, for this first shiny, brand new episode of Retro Reboot, I am of course joined by some lovely co-hosts, which would be Andy. What up, fuckers? There it is. (laughs) And Ben.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: And I'm orange, I don't think I actually introduced myself at all, which is a really good start for me. So hello, that's me. <laughs> so I thought as a nice way to kick off this new show is we're actually going to talk a little bit about the reason why we are all drawn still to retro games and not leaving them way back in the past where they currently reside. So let's go to Andy first, because this is actually Andy's suggestion. Thank you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> ha ha! So I'm not typically a nostalgic person, except for video games. That's my one thing. I have very, you could call it rose tinted glasses looking back. It's just the feeling as I had experienced in like classic games. And some not-so-classic games, (laughs) they stick with me in a way that other memories just don't. I don't have very many vivid memories of the concerts I've been to, movies I've gone to see, Mm. things like that, holidays I've been on, I don't know. (laughs) It's it's always the video games that linger in my mind, like, I'll remember certain Christmases better than others because of a video game. Yeah. They cement in my head, I think it's probably because I've been playing games since I was old enough to hold a joystick, but (laughs) it's just one of those things that's just fused into my head, the video games. I just get this real big excitement about going back, trying to re-experience a game that I loved as an adult who has a greater appreciation for the medium and the intricacies of it the mechanics that go into it the work that's put into it by people i can like reappraise things that i loved or maybe give something a try that i threw away and said fuck you (laughs) because i got stuck (laughs) on the first level which happened a lot yes and there's also this the excitement of discovering something that i never got to play Mm. Uh, It was Mm. usually because fuck all got released in our region especially during like the 16-bit era all those jrpgs that i never got a chance to try things Mm. like that It's really fun because there's so many new games out right now, but there's so many old games I still haven't touched. And I'm the resident old AF member of the 1UP pod. I still (laughs) have barely scraped the surface of this industry. When I got my Steam Deck, the first thing I did, rather than like start installing games from my Steam library, was work out how to install like 100 gigs worth of emulated games.
0: That's the best idea. That's what I want a Steam Deck for now. Why it's, didn't
2: I think of that? It's very, it's a very good retro gaming, unless you're playing something Damn. like PS3 or Xbox 360. That generation is a fucking shit show for emulation. <laughs> it's a really good little thing. I've been playing a lot of games on that. And as I said, none of that would be necessary if the industry properly preserved its history. Mm. So, you know, as long as the gaming industry neglects its own history and fails to support it properly, I feel like it's morally correct to pirate all games. So I'm just putting (laughs) my flag there. My pirate flag.
0: (laughs) Your flag is accepted. (laughs) Okay. What about you, Ben?
1: I think similar to some of the stuff that Andy touched on, it's it's going back and like trying to capture that feeling that you had when you first played that game as a kid Mm. all you knew in the world at that moment was what was going on in that game that was like your only focus you know you weren't worried or knew about you know shit that you have to deal with as an adult and I mean I was going back and thinking like some of the some of my favorite games when I first really got into gaming were like ports of SNES games anyway So Mm. I always liked retro games, (laughs) 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 thinking about it. I always, you know, and there's been so many games made that there's just, there's so many that uh, I haven't played Mm. or I've just missed or I don't even know anything about. And looking back is, you know, a good way you can cherry pick. There's going to be something that I'll want to play. Whereas I'm just waiting for a new game. Something might not pique my interest for a while. But yeah, it's like growing up, like Andy said, I remember a specific Christmas day where I'd been waiting for months, reading, like, Games Master and stuff, waiting for Dragon Ball Z Budokai to come out.
0: Oh, good game. And I remember just sat there
1: in the living room with my GameCube, just, like, (laughs) holding Raditz as Piccolo, beam cannons in, and just thinking, like, this is the best thing that's ever (laughs) happened. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Legitimately a good Dragon Ball game. But okay, guys good
1: <laughs> And I was like, so excited for it to come out and I just remember like that's all I wanted for Christmas. I don't remember anything else that happened <laughs> on that Christmas day or it was it would have been two thousand and three because I was wearing an England rugby shirt. Wasn't even oh. into rugby, but they were like I think they won the World Cup that year. Wow. But yeah, just remember just that moment and you know, going back and either replaying old games and as like I said as Andy touched on, being able to appreciate them in an entirely different way and picking up things that just would have gone over my head as a child. Like, I played a lot of RPGs as a child, and when I've gone back and played them, like, there's a lot more shit that I didn't realise was going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just skipping text and stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, it's... We just we just all want to be kids again, don't we, I think? <laughs> right, And we Definitely. want that feeling.
0: Well, for me, it's mostly a... Hmm. When I was growing up, I mostly played tie-in games I'll be real so when I had the SNES my family were very big on oh that's a tv show we recognize or that's a Disney movie we recognize so the game is a really good way to go for our for our young daughters so I did not have many of the classic games of the SNES era I've never touched Metroid I've never touched Castlevania The Legend of Zelda the SNES ones you know i they're not familiar to me. Mario was the only one we really had and I feel like the only reason we had Mario at all is because it came with the SNES. So <laughs> we kind of, we learned that Mario was good and therefore we could keep buying that because if it had Mario on it then my parents were like, yay! So for me, definitely reliving retro is just lovely because I can actually finally go back and play these classic SNES games that I missed completely when I was actually a child. So the going back part is great, and also stuff that I never even knew existed. Part of the joy of streaming is that I meet a lot of different people and those different people recommend retro games to me. and I'm just like, "Wow, what's that? I need to look that up and I'll talk about one of those on today's episode. That's probably one of retro's biggest draws for me is the idea of going back and playing things that I missed, especially things that are apparently amazing, groundbreaking, you know, I know. On my list which is why i mention them metroid and castlevania are quite important because i love metroidvania so it's like maybe i should go back to where that namesake has come from (laughs) but i also do really appreciate the reliving of things and beating things that you never beat that is a massive thing for me i know a recent example of that is kingsley's adventure on the ps1 I never beat as a kid. I never even owned it. We just constantly rented it from Blockbuster. I used to rent it week on week, and I never got through it. And then I managed to get a really cheap copy of it before the price of it went through the roof. And recently I beat it. And it just felt so nice to just be like, that was for you, Little Orange right there you're welcome <laughs> but i also enjoyed it as well so i don't know that it's really nice to go back to these classics that inspire a lot of newer games that come out as well how many times do you hear this game is like a spiritual successor to this one and you're just like oh wow so it's nice to see the history of gaming i suppose is also very, very heavily buried hair, hairily buried heavily buried in there. <laughs> seeing where games have come from I guess another example I recently played through, I say recently, it took me three years, but I just played through the entirety of Tomb Raider from the very first game to Shadows of the Tomb Raider and watching it change, like watching the very first Tomb Raider game where it all started and then seeing its evolution across time, fitting into different time periods and what games were doing when they were rebooting it and things like that and seeing it change and evolve. It was just fascinating and I'd love to do that with more franchises but I'm gonna break them up next time because doing it all in one big go I was like I don't want to see Lara's face anymore (laughs) I'm really fed up with her braid you know it was like uh, but it was a really really awesome experience and yeah it I love seeing where games have come from as well that's just really really fascinating So, on that note, we're going to now go around and everyone's going to talk about the first game that they have brought with them today. I'm going to mix it up a little bit so it's not always Andy first. (laughs) (laughs) Ben! Tell us about your first game.
1: The first game that I've been playing is The Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages. So, I've been a Zelda fan for years and I was trying to figure out how did I miss out on this game and... The only thing I can think of is that this one and Oracle of Seasons that's like connected to it. They came out like very close to the end of the Game Boy Color coming out. And Mm. I'm pretty sure I got a Game Boy Advance not long after it came out. So I'm thinking Child Me was like, oh, I don't want a game from that old console. I (laughs) I want new things. (laughs) that
0: like clunky cartridge they were like you can play the game boy and game boy color on the advance and it was like yeah but it sticks out and it looks horrible
1: but it's old (laughs) you know what's funny is in the manner of playing new things i'm pretty sure one of the first games i would have played was a link to the past (laughs) an older zelda game (laughs) but anyway i digress we don't
2: need consistency when we're kids
1: just such child behavior Ugh. But um, yeah, it's it's on it's on the Nintendo Switch online Game Boy Library now, so it's very accessible. So Oracle of Ages is a top-down Zelda, originally come out in the Game Boy Color. It sees Link transport it's a Labyrinth? Labyrinth? I don't know. Where he is <laughs> Somewhere. Yeah, he's yeah, he's immediately duped and leads an evil sorceress Varon straight to the Oracle of Ages, Nairu, who then possesses said Oracle goes back in time and starts fucking shit up. (laughs) This is like literally two minutes into the game. You can't really go anywhere. You've just got to lead this evil person who is immediately very sus anyway (laughs) to where they need to go. But then like it shows these cutscenes of, you know, things in the past affecting things in the future. And it just cuts to this random house and this woman starts panicking as a child slowly disappears. (laughs) Just really like, (laughs) okay. That's dark. But yeah, so... Link, obviously causing, causing trouble straight away, <laughs> finds the Harp of Ages and has to use that to travel back and forth through time, going solving puzzles, getting eight time essences, but, you know, before a big final showdown with the big bad at the end. It is just such a old-school Zelda game. <laughs> I knew it existed, but I'd never looked into it or thought about playing it until it just pops on the Switch Online, and we were talking about doing this episode, yeah. And I looked into it, and it's the first Zelda game directed by Hidemaro Fujibiashi, who directed Four Swords and Minish Cap while he was at Capcom. And then he went to Nintendo and directed Skyward Sword, Breath of the Wild, and Tears of the Kingdom. So, well. like, absolute Zelda royalty. Mm. And it's just... It was originally... There was originally three games planned. This one, Seasons, and then another one, which they canned. But this one was all about puzzles, And I've not, I've not got to the end yet, but the whole game is just so fun to play. You've got the big kind of Zelda dungeons and all the puzzles and I'm always getting lost in there, but just kind of getting your way to the next area or the next dungeon. It's like a puzzle in itself. It's like an overworld kind of thing, which they've definitely done in Zelda after that, but I I just didn't think I'd fall in love with it so much. Um, (laughs) It looks so pretty. I think that's what put me off it in the past, maybe, because, like, from my memory, Game Boy Color and the Game Boy games haven't aged as well when I've looked at them, but as soon as I started playing it, like, I've not really been able to put it down. I just (laughs) want to keep exploring, and I tried playing Tears of the Kingdom, played it for a while, and I just... There's kind of too much going on, and I think that's what led me back to an old-school Zelda.
0: A simpler time. Yeah, just
1: (laughs) a simpler time, and that's not a diss on Tears of the Kingdom. Like, I'm sure i'll get into it at some point and i'll just love it but yeah i just i think i had that zelda itch and they came on um the switch online i thought this is just such an excuse to play but yeah have any of you two played oracle of ages i have not no yeah i i recommend it if you you like zelda games especially like the older zelda games as well i mean I i don't even though like there is combat in it, i don't feel like i'm ever doing that much fighting i feel like i'm just running around (laughs) <laughs> Solving, going back and forth, trying to solve puzzles in the past, and then going <laughs> to the present, and then, you know, I never really feel lost, but the world feels really big because it's mm. that kind of like old, very old school Zelda, where like you know you move one screen at a time, yeah, and then the dungeons become bigger areas. I just went off on that, and I was like, "I've got notes. I'm gonna look at my notes and see what <laughs> <laughs> things no. that I wanted to mention." Never oh, look at notes. so Oracle of Ages also. So apart from the weird scene at the start with the child disappearing, just heavy start. <laughs> there's like three animal creatures, including a kangaroo that you can like pop in his pouch, and he helps you get around, you know, up cliffs yeah. and stuff. Okay, which is just so it's so odd. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, different. <laughs> the Deku Tree a staple in many Zelda games has this little flower coming off her and these big cartoon eyes and you agree to marry her oh, okay. which is right which is a weird vibe and there are like cartoons and you know like pictures that people have drawn of this romance that I've discovered online oh, into no. this and like don't recommend you
2: keep going. <laughs> oh, <laughs> try not to
0: that's the cover art for this yeah. episode <laughs>
2: God, don't give me ideas. I know. I, just, that's <laughs> it. I was
1: like, I don't want to look, but I'm going to have to look now, because it's going to have to think about, and yeah, I wish I didn't really, because it's not that bad, but it's, it's very weird. <laughs> like, what we were talking about before, about kind of going back and, like, rediscovering games or playing games that we missed out on, this is such a strange game while I've been playing it, because it feels so familiar, because there's, like, those old-school Zelda stereotypes and a lot of the stuff... You know, has then gone into later games, mm. but obviously I've never played it, so it's like it feels like <laughs> I'm I'm really nostalgic for it, but it's all so new. It's like I've played it and just forgotten everything about it, which has just been such a nice feeling. Yes,
0: yeah. Because
1: I was getting frustrated playing Tears of the Kingdom because I was like, I know I should be enjoying this more. I should be like, and I just <laughs> I just couldn't. I didn't have the creativity or whatever, and I just like I just want I just want a little bit of this and Oracle of Ages as has given it to me so much so far.
0: Well, that's a big recommend. I think I'm going to be adding that to my uh, (laughs) retro games. I mean, I have pretty much the entire Zelda roster on there already, but I will be bumping that one up because the only Zelda game I've ever beaten, beaten, is Ocarina of Time. And that was the 3DS port is the only... The only Zelda game I've ever actually beaten. I'm really bad at Zelda games. I
1: definitely only beat Wind Waker when I was a kid because... Oh, Wind Wind Waker's had...
0: so good. I never finished it, but I loved it. I think
1: it was an action replay disc. When it gets to the part where you've got to, like, spend ages looking for the Triforce or whatever, I just had the cheat, and I was like, I'm just going to get these so I could go to the end of the game.
0: you would have to go back and do it now without the cheat and see if you can because <laughs> you're a seasoned gamer now.
1: Oh, it would take me ages.
0: How about you, Andy? What is your first game?
2: The first game I'm talking about is a game I've never played before. The next one will be a game that I've played quite often. This one is Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, released in 1990 on the MSX. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a long time ago. Before I was born. (laughs) (laughs) I would have been like eight, I think, when it came out. But I didn't (laughs) own an MSX. so It might, might surprise some people, especially ones who identify me as a Hideo Kojima simp mainly Becky, that I haven't (laughs) actually gone back and played all of the original Metal Gear games. (gasps) Like most people, I think, especially my age, I got into the series through Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation, and it took me a really long time to think about going back to the original two games. I had since played Metal Gear on the Nintendo, but never the original MSX version, largely because emulating retro home computers was always... Very fiddly compared to consoles. And mm-hmm. I only have so much patience in my body. <laughs> so, I finally made the effort. And it turns out the MSX is actually quite a lot easier to emulate than an Amiga or ZX Spectrum. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dabbled a little bit in the original Metal Gear just to see how it differed from the Nintendo. It is noticeably different. The NES version, which wasn't supervised by Kojima, it has mm-hmm. made a couple of changes. You could call them changes or you could call them compromises. Just It seems like... Th- some things were done to make it possibly more accessible mm. to like a Nintendo player who's probably a child. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's done with the intent of like nerfing it a little bit, which mm. is kind of hilarious because I found it fucking an absolute bollock puncher of a game. <laughs> it was <laughs> oh. it was difficult. But I wanted to play Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake because it's the next step along towards Metal Gear Solid. There's a lot mm. of ties between these games of Metal Gear Solid. It actually looks quite good for mm-hmm. a, a game as old as it is, it's definitely more <laughs> textured and detailed than the NES game for the original. The gameplay feels a bit basic now, I guess, at least compared to how densely designed the later games became. Mm. But I always like, especially with retro games, you have to look at the context within which they were released. Yes. It, it's a lot easier to do if you spend a lot of time playing retro games. If it's If you only dabble a little bit, you're going to be a little less forgiving of certain Mm. things about old games. But looking back, you can see that Metal Gear at the time was actually quite complex and ambitious. It's got all the mechanical concepts that Kojima would expand on with the Metal Gear Solid series. They're almost all there in some way, shape or form, even if it's a very basic form. And it's just really fascinating to see these early iterations of stuff like this. Mm. Things you you become very accustomed to playing like five other games that you go back and you say, okay, here are the seeds and it's Mm. surprising to see how well developed some of them were like the uh, codex system is very much like fully formed in this game and i guess playing the metal gear solid games probably helped me a little bit understand how this game worked because i can imagine if i came to this as a small child in the 1990s i would not know what the fuck i was doing i'd be so angry every time i ran at a guard they shot me dead immediately why am i dying like this this is stupid yeah, it's it's going to appeal to a certain type of gamer, especially somebody who likes the Metal Gear Solid games. Mm-hmm. The story has lots of ties to the Metal Gear Solid series. I definitely felt it helped enrich those games a little bit more by knowing mm. this stuff. But the important thing is it it was never essential that you played these games to understand anything that was happening in the Metal Gear Solid series. I feel like Kojima makes sure to painstakingly explain everything in his games. Mm. He writes them and designs them like they would be someone's first game, which is, I think that's a very Japanese approach. Like, Nintendo do that a lot as well. Mm. Like, they like to they like to make sure this game is accessible to anybody. And yeah. that definitely helps. I can't necessarily say I enjoyed it that much, <laughs> like compared to maybe, because c- I'm so used to the Metal Gear Solid games and how far mm. along they've come. In that style of very old home computer games doesn't give you a goddamn thing to work with. You've got to work out everything yourself. (laughs) And I engaged with it. I wasn't in love with it, but the most important thing was I appreciated it. Mm. I felt like I was getting an invaluable piece of a puzzle and the bigger picture became far clearer. It might be hard to recommend to people as a pure game-playing experience, but if you've got a real interest in gaming history especially the early works of Hideo Kojima, I do feel like it's absolutely <laughs> essential.
0: Awesome. I, <laughs> I'm i so, like, not much experience on Metal Gear either. I think I've bought some of them. I don't think I have the first one on PS1. I know I've bought a couple of PS2 ones. But Metal Gear is another series that... By the time it came under my radar, it was on the fourth one or the fifth one, and I was just like, oh, I want to go back, though, and <laughs> play earlier ones first. So it's, it's in the same wheelhouse as Zelda for me. It's like, I need to go back, back to where it all began. So this, this definitely strikes my interest because, mm. yeah, I do love the idea of seeing games from start to finish, literally from a franchise point of view as well very very fascinating to me
2: <laughs>
1: i don't think i played any of the metal gear games i think i played a demo of one of them when there i was you really young
2: back you go <laughs> there's probably metal gear solid 2 the really misleading demo yeah, that made you think you're going to be playing a solid snake <laughs> by the game and he's barely fucking in it but oh, that's another complaint <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's for another episode of retro reboot <laughs> Right, my first game, I'm going to go in a completely different direction to both of you's, and I'm presenting Crash Bandicoot 2, Cortex Strikes Back. I think that's the right name. (laughs) I I wrote my notes and I went, Wrath of Cortex. I was like, no, no, wrong one, it's the other one. Cortex is involved. (laughs) Cortex is in the title. So Crash Bandicoot is a huge part of my childhood. I haven't gone back and played the game for this episode. I'm just going based on my own childhood joy and memory. It was the first game I ever owned on the PS1. I played Crash Bandicoot 1 at a friend's house before we had a PlayStation in our house. And I remember we got stuck on one of the running levels where you're on the, it's a little hog, I think, isn't it? The first one, you're running away from a boulder, I think. And we got stuck on it in my friend's house. We just lost all our lives, died, game over, blah, blah. Um, So, (laughs) Clearly that made me a little sour to the first game because then when I was presented with we're getting a PS1 from my family and they said, what game do you want? I decided to get the second one because I had decided I've had enough of the first one. I'm going to (laughs) move on to the sequel because that is how this works. And I loved it. I loved it so much. It was more of what I'd experienced at my friend's house. I loved being growing up on the SNES. Obviously, I was very used to the old left and right side-scrolling when doing platforming it was different to anything else like I already had I think we had an n64 before a playstation one but I can't remember but it was that notion that we were you were running forwards (laughs) like (laughs) into the tv my mind was blown (laughs) at my young age I think I was like eight or something and I was like this is insane this looks crazy compared to what I'm used to I love the character of Crash. I loved the, the music, the world design. It was just everything. It was, for me, a true jump forward in like gaming in terms of technology and graphics. My young mind was like, wow, this is amazing. So it completely bowled me over in that regards. But I also just, I loved the gameplay. I love that it was hard, <laughs> which is weird. Because I know when I was a, a kid, I was very impatient. I tried to play Tomb Raider 2. And I got stuck on the first level and I tried to play it, I think, on about three different instances of my childhood and I never got past the first level and I just got mad at it. So I shelved it. But Crash is hard and I loved it because I think the platformingness, the fact that you kind of, it was an open world, which I think helped. You You knew you had to go this way. <laughs> and I just, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the challenge that it presented, but knowing what I had to do. Most people who know me know that I'm really bad at puzzles. So I'm the type of person who will fixate on this is definitely what you have to do. And everyone's sitting there shaking their head going, that's, that's not what you have to do. And I'm just like, no, it is. I'm going to make it work. With something like Crash, that wasn't an issue. Is it? You know what you have to do. It's very obvious. You have to jump across here, not die. So for me, it was much easier for my child brain to understand. I just need to get from here to over there. And not die in the process, cool, let's do it. So the crash games were a very big part of my childhood, and since we are talking about reboots, I'm breaking my own rules already. I have played the insane trilogy, and although i I do recognize that they have made it a little bit more friendly and a little bit easier than the old p s one games, they are very, very good reboots of the originals, like if you can. Get hold of the original ones, you should because they still hold up really well today, but if you can't, the insane trilogy is really easy to get hold of on pretty much anything, so that's definitely an easy inroad for that crash goodness, and I haven't played the fourth one yet I've got it. It's been sitting on my shelf waiting <laughs> waiting for me um, but I am tempted to go back and play through the original trilogy because in my adulthood, now that I have. <laughs> expendable income i have purchased <laughs> crash bandicoot one and crash bandicoot three which i didn't own before and so now i can actually play through all the classic ps1 versions and maybe i'll even try to 100 percent them i think i might kill myself if i try to but i hear it <laughs> it's ridiculously hard but you know i've beaten them once so maybe this is my next level now to go back and be like hey You think you're better at gaming? Well, prove it by 100%ing the Crash games instead of just getting to the end. But yeah, I I love Crash and I'm pleased to see Crash is still in existence. But the second one means the most to me for the pure sake that it was my first, first game that I owned that I was very excited about. So I definitely played it way more than any other game. So let us go round again for everyone's second game before we start talking about what you want to reboot. We'll go back to Ben just to keep it the same.
1: (laughs) My second game is a game that I had played before and keeping with the theme that's available on Nintendo Switch Online, I wanted to pick games that were really accessible to a lot of people. I know a lot of people have Switches and sometimes it's hard to, you know, play some of these older games.
0: That's a good idea.
1: But Mm. anyway, yeah, (laughs) went off on one there. That's right. My second game is Fire Emblem, The Blazing Blade, which was just called Fire Emblem over here. It came out on the Game Boy Advance in 2003, I think 2004 over here and in America. And it was the first game in the series to be localized for international audiences. So Mm -hmm. prior to that, the six games prior were just all in Japanese. None of them were ever translated. And they were, I imagine, they were quite hard to get hold of because of how consoles and game regions used to work back then. Mm. Like I said, I played this as a kid, and I think, I think I might have got into it through playing with some of the characters on Smash Bros. Maybe Probably. on my GameCube, but I remember just playing it and not being able to put it down until I finished it. For anyone who's unfamiliar with Fire Emblem, it's a tactical RPG. Where you're on like a grid-based map, and you're basically moving your soldiers around to you know, win a battle or whatever the objective is. It's normally quite mm. simple. I think what's great about this version is not only is it a, a really good entry point to the series if you've never played the one one of the games or you've like dipped into one and maybe thought it wasn't real for you, the, it's quite an extended prologue, it's so kind of introduction. It really talks you through it and kind of gets you familiar with everything in the game and then it just launches you into the campaign. There's not a lot of stuff to do between missions. So if anyone's played Three Houses, that's done really well on Switch when it came out. It's none of that kind of like romancing and you know, outside of combat stuff. It's just, you go and do your missions and then you move on. There's some cut scenes, there's some little interactions between the characters, but it's really simple. And Orange, while you were talking about like Crash before about, <laughs> you know, I know I have to just go from back to front or front to back or whatever. That's what I love about Fire Emblem. I can pick it up and be like, I can just do a mission. Yeah. And if I want to do another one, I can do. And then I can just turn it off and pick it up. And, you know, I can just go into another mission. I don't have to figure mm. out what's going on. Mm. Playing it on Switch Online also just is great because you can rewind it constantly. If you, oh, the rewind if function. fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Do it so much. I did it so much on the Zelda game as well. If I explored an area that was like, unuseful and I'd gone the wrong way, rather than have to trek back, i just rewind it. <laughs> <laughs> if I died in a dungeon, rewind. Like, make it easy. But yeah, anyway, back to Fire Emblem. You <laughs> play as an actual person, which is a slightly odd. you woken up by a woman called Lynn who's living on the plains on her own. Her family and her tribe have been attacked by bandits and all killed, so you go off with her and you're with her throughout the prologue, learning bits about the game, meeting new characters and kind of builds up to, you know, discovering who Lynn is and, you know, what she's all about. And then after that, the kind of the game kind of starts for real and you're with Eliwood and Hector who are on a quest to find Eliwood's missing father. Eliwood obviously is um, a lord of some place in Fire Emblem that I cannot remember. But like all these things, you know, everyone's a lord or... <laughs> yeah they've all got money in this realm mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> apart from me apparently <laughs> but just the gameplay and the combat is so fun they've got if you've ever played fire emblem it's like a very rock paper scissors like a weapon triangle where you've got swords i can't remember how this works i think axes beat swords swords beat lances and lances beat axes maybe but anyway a little <laughs> weapon triangle. it's really simple there's lots of like numbers and stats for you to look at but Like, when you're attacking or whatever and doing your turn, it just breaks it down nicely for you. How much damage are you going to do? How are you going to get hit? Like, little percentages. So, it's yeah, it's just... It feels like a very pure game. Like, it's Mm. just... It's not trying to do anything other than just be a little tactical RPG. It looks beautiful. Mm. I mean, I think a lot of the games on the Game Boy Advance have probably aged quite well. Mm. But, like, just some of the sprites in that game, it's just... Like, the little animations when, like, your your character, like, pulls the sword out to attack, or the little flick of the hair when they land, it's just, it feels like so much detail has gone into these little Mm. pixelated forms, even, like, all the way to the little chubby-faced portraits that they have. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's, I think it's aged really well, and... Like I said, I think it's so easy to pick up and play. And I did say, like, there's not much to do outside of, like, the missions and stuff. But even on the missions themselves, there's, like, villages that you can go and visit. And, you know, if you visit them before the enemy gets there, they kind of board up and they might give you an item or a weapon. There's, like, little houses on the map that you can decide to go and visit instead of going off attacking. And they might give you some information that's really key. Mm. It It just feels like such a nice, like, contained game that I can enjoy and I can put down but like, no, I could just go back to it and I'm just going to love it. And what's funny about this is in the same way that I kind of wanted to tickle that Zelda itch, but I wasn't getting it from Tears of the Kingdom. I kind of, I do like tactical RPGs, but I, I dip in and out of them. And I was playing Marvel's Midnight Suns recently. Mm-hmm. and I'm really into that, but I just kept getting distracted on it. And then I just, I kind of fell away from it. And rather than Go back to it because there's so much going on in that game. Because it's like a modern AAA game, you know, there's like so much stuff to do outside of combat, there's people to talk to and things to do. And well, I wanted to just, I just want to play something where I can just be tactical and I, it makes me feel clever. <laughs> you know, can I get through this without letting everyone die? And thanks to the rewind ability, <laughs> I
2: can
1: do that. Because <laughs> I don't, you know, if anyone doesn't know, Fire Emblem is notorious for if your characters die in combat, normally they're just dead, that's it. And when you first play that as a child, you get to the end of the mission, and you're like, yeah, well, that person (laughs) went down, it's fine, and then it just comes with a little cutscene. Oh, wait, where's that? I've not got a flying person anymore. Like, what's going on? Why have I saved it? Oh, no. Modern day, we just rewind that shit. It's great. (laughs) I'm really bad at chess. But I like the idea of being good at chess. <laughs> but I don't want to learn how to play chess. So I, I play stuff like Fire Emblem. <laughs> it makes you feel, like, smart when stuff comes off. And it's so, so pretty, that game. It has no right to look that good.
0: Fantastic. Right, your second game, Mr. Antisa.
2: My second pick, I'm going to be sticking to a theme. And it is early Hideo Kojima game. <laughs> Snatcher, originally released in 1988. But I played the Mega CD version, which mm-hmm. was released in 1994. i played this one several times before now. It took me a long time to get a hold of it because, like, as a young boy, I wasn't allowed to get this game because there was so much discussion about it being extremely violent and inappropriate for children in a grown-up sexual way. Oh, my. So I was like, I want to play it. And they're like, well, no, no, we have seen these screenshots you've accidentally showed us. Like, <laughs> I screwed myself over. Oh, I have no. just left them in ignorance. <laughs> But <laughs> that's, that's a rant by my therapist, maybe. <laughs> it was available quite readily on the Mega CD, unlike previous versions, but I just couldn't get hold of it because I was a kid. But then, as an adult man, <laughs> it's very hard to find emulated versions of this game that actually work. So that took me a long time to find something. But I finally got hold of it, finally got it working, voice acting and all that stuff. Everything, nothing was wrong, and I loved it. I've had no way of talking about this on the podcast before, because there's no way I was going to convince three other people to play it. <laughs> I could find a way to fit it into video game deathmatch. And it's definitely not an indie game. So <laughs> this this show has given me my chance.
0: Hooray! Like, <laughs> it's, it's been a
2: blessing from above. <laughs> so yeah, like I said, I've only played the Mega CD version. There are purists out there who they don't consider it the best version because it's censored quite a bit of stuff. Not a lot of the violence was censored, but there was weird, inappropriate sexual stuff that was torn down. And I'm perfectly fine with that, to be honest, because <laughs> I've seen <laughs> what some of that stuff is, and it makes me feel a bit sick. <laughs> but the Mega CD version was going to be my preferred version anyway, because the graphics are the most polished and vibrant. It's got a voice track, and there's also this little There's a moment where you visit this bar. I guess it could be called a fetish bar, but in the original <laughs> versions, everyone's dressed up as movie characters. The cosplay culture has kind of become a big thing in the future. Mm. So people go to this bar... They're all dressed up as like characters from Alien and uh, Star Wars and stuff. But for the Mega CD version, everybody's dressed as Konami characters. So you've got like oh, cool. Rocket League Adventures, the guys from uh, fucking Contra, well, the guy from Castlevania. Obviously, there's a bunch of other dudes. It's it just like I liked that. I liked the idea of video games being such a big part of culture in the future that grown adults are dressing like them in public, and mm. it turned out to be true. Like you know, <laughs> Kojima predicted that. He he yep. got the he he nailed down the cosplayer culture thing. And there's another point in the game where he managed he predicted the rise of furry subculture. Oh. <laughs> so I I tell you, he is a prophet, this man. He he sees the future <laughs> and he shows us it in the form of a video game.
0: It mean we should be more scared of death stranding. <laughs> oh
2: well, I mean he already predicted a global lockdown where only this delivery drivers were out, outside. This <laughs> is true. So he's, yeah, he's done that. He's done predicting private armies, all sorts of military tech, and fairies. Like so, all the big <laughs> dangers to modern civilization. <laughs> <laughs> so the story for Snatcher, it, it's got a bit of a mix between like Blade Runner and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. It's set in the future and um, following the release of a. a It's a global pandemic basically that wipes out most of the planet, and there's only like small cities left. And there's these cyborgs known as snatchers that kidnap people, murder them, take their skin, and disguise themselves as these people and infiltrate society. And you play a guy called Gillian Seed, he has amnesia, which I wonder Mm. if that'll be important later. And he's, <laughs> his job is hunting snatchers. He's part of a small government-funded unit that hunts down snatchers. Mm-hmm. And one of your fellow agents is killed by a snatcher or a group of snatchers. And you have to investigate the murder track down who did it and the whole thing kind of spirals from there becomes something much bigger and more dangerous and far more reliant on extended monologues to explain everything (laughs) (laughs) it tackles a lot of kojima's concerns that also bled into the metal gear games things that would bury into your head like a tick if you'd lived through the cold war basically Mm. so the metal gear games dealt with the existential terror of always being like hypothetically a few seconds away from being obliterated because of nuclear conflict. And Snatcher is more about the paranoia of foreign forces secretly infiltrating your country and your government and tearing it down piece by piece from the shadows. That's what the Snatchers quite overtly represent. It's a point-and-click game. It's got a visual novel-style presentation. It's really nice to look I, I really like the look of it. The artwork is really nice, especially on the Mega CD version. And I feel like it's easy enough to play. There's shooting sections, which are quite forgiving, considering you'd be using, like, a joypad to move your little target around. The world building and the story are really compelling, piecing it all together, all the clues and progressing through the story. Really engaging. And I do think, sincerely, that this game helped open the door a little bit for the visual novel style of gameplay to reach the West. It wasn't really a big thing at the time, but now it's everywhere. It's become, a, it's become a much more prevalent, especially in indie games. Mm. So I feel like Snatch is an interesting thing where it's weirdly massively influential and yet criminally underrated. hmm also, your guy has a little robot sidekick called Metal Gear. And it's, very, it's like a little cute little Star Wars <laughs> kind of thing.
0: Subtle hint.
2: <laughs> yeah. Please buy my other games.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds really good. i i never heard of it before. And now... I'm regretting this show already because it feel like it's already becoming like the indie pod, and I'm now yeah. already writing down games <laughs> and being like, now I need to play these retro games as well.
2: When I was a kid, I got really obsessed with wanting to play Snapchat because I saw in a magazine a screenshot of a guy like sat up against a wall and his head had been kind of pulled off between his legs. Oh. Like as a 10 year old child, I was like, whoa, it's yeah. <laughs> like. Mortal Kombat was on the horizon, but the big violent video game thing hadn't quite taken off yet. Mm. So this was like a mind-blowing experience for me. Like, <laughs> As a kid that grew up on Robocop and stuff like that, so I, was, I wasn't squeamish. I was very much engaged with the whole ultra-violence thing. <laughs> I was like, oh god, I've got to play this game. Yeah, you were there for it. Yeah, how yeah. Yeah. Was, was the audience.
0: Yeah, I wasn't allowed to touch those kind of games. I had an overactive imagination, so <laughs> anything scared me. I was scared of Ursula from The Little Mermaid. <laughs> We we rented Mortal Kombat when I was a, a little child, and my dad was so horrified at what he saw that we were banned from all fighting games until I finally convinced them that Tekken has clouds of blood instead of bones breaking and things being ripped off. So, yes, <laughs> I would not have been allowed to play Snatcher as a child. <laughs> Right, for me, I'm going back to bright and colourful because Andy keeps taking it to dark and scary. Um, <laughs> That's I and I'm actually, <laughs> I picked a game that I played last year for the very first time. So I streamed this game, I played it for the first time, I'd never heard of it. And it was actually my lovely partner Peachy who requested that I check it out. And considering the fact that it's the PS2 game and it's called Sitting Ducks, which is also available, well, was available, the PC. I think you can emulate it really easily for a PC version. But it cost me £2 to buy it, so I just went, sure. It's based off of a TV show of the same name. Again, I've never heard of it, but it's ridiculous, um, is the word that I would use. It is not what I expected at all. Very, very meanly to Peachy, when she told me that this was a game she played in her childhood and really enjoyed a little voice in the back of my head went, it's probably really easy and like (laughs) childy then, isn't it? Because I'm a horrible person and I just assumed that because a child peachy and I know what she's like with video games now, really liked it, then it probably wasn't that difficult. I was wrong! It's really hard, especially if you try to 100% it, which I crazily did. So, how to describe City Ducks? It's The easiest way I can think of is it's like GTA, but with ducks and alligators. (laughs) So the the premise is that you are uh, Bill, who's the very friendly, lovely duck who will literally just do odd jobs for anyone who asks. He asks for no payment. He needs nothing in return. He'll just do it because that's Bill. Literally the nicest duck in this city. (laughs) So why is it like GTA, you ask? Well, a primary function of this game is basically everything is a timed event. So you must go from place to place utilising certain vehicles. You can buy different scooters as you progress. By the way, the currency is your own feathers. Do with that as you will. And every time you crash, you lose some of your feathers. So do with that as you will. (laughs) Bill should be bald by the end of this game with... The nightmare I had but you you have a couple of different vehicles but scooters when you access when you finally unlock scooters in the story that's pretty much what you will rely on but before that you have a skateboard which is horrible and the quests are all very simple things they range from picking up a hundred ice cream cones because apparently people dropped a hundred ice cream cones which by the way the store owner still wants to sell so You'll have to pick up all this ice cream and then give it to him to sell. So enjoy your floor ice cream, everyone. And another lady who's got candy you must deliver across the city. It's all very, they're very simple missions, but the, the it does have a storyline. But because it's based off a TV show, the running story is very episodic based. So like each chapter of the game works as its kind of own standalone little package story with like a few beats that bleed into each one but predominantly you play it in like these little segments of story these everyday occurrences for bill and his friends one of which is aldo an alligator who met bill because he tried to eat bill but then he hit his face when he missed and now has a toothache so because bill is literally the nicest duck in the world just says never mind mr alligator that you tried to eat me here come back to my house and I will help you with your toothache and it's just yes <laughs> no no danger of being eaten totally fine everything's great but it's colorful it's crazy and yeah it it is very much it gives me that GTA for kids kind of vibe but I as as much as I didn't think I would enjoy it or didn't think it was going to be very challenging. It really is. Some of the timed things that you have to do to get all of the gold feathers which is how you 100% the game is really difficult. You cannot make any mistakes. You have to get this perfect if you're going to get that gold feather. And I'm not going to sugarcoat this. The controls are not very good. They are difficult. The controls are working against you. The camera... (laughs) is 100% not on your side. (laughs) And probably one of my favourite things, now looking back on it so that I can laugh at myself, is the pop-in of other characters so whilst you are driving your scooter around the city streets you can turn a corner and there will just be someone in a car where you would never have been able to see them there is no way you would have seen them before you just hit them and then you it makes this really comic doing sound as you are thrown (laughs) from your vehicle feathers everywhere and now you have to pick them up the timer is still going so you are probably now going to fail And then you get back on your vehicle and someone just drives into you because every other person in this city does not understand how to drive. I saw people literally drive into walls for no reason. They just drove into a wall. I wasn't even over there. They just, yep. All right then. And then that's not even when you get to the second city in the game, which is full of alligators like Aldo and they all want to eat you. So if you go anywhere near any of them, they just, they just put you in their mouth off your vehicle and then you have to get out again. So that's another fun challenge that the game likes to add in. So it's very challenging, but for some reason, because it's just so ridiculous in premise, I found it really good fun. I didn't think it was entirely unfair. <laughs> it was doable. You just had to have a little modicum of luck and RNG on your side. To have an easier run of it. But also at the same time it was just about getting to grips with the controls, understanding them. I found singing helped a lot so I did a lot of uh, making up terrible songs about ice cream to make me feel better when I was trying to pick up 300 cones of ice cream later on. Because yeah, it happens more than once. That guy just does not lock his freezer at night and uh, (laughs) (laughs) he needs help but yeah as as much as I could say you know it's pretty janky the camera definitely hates you it is fun it was very colorful very my vibe very crazy and I think I did 10 streams in total so it didn't drive me nuts enough to stop and I was (laughs) determined to get the 100% because I've never seen (laughs) I've seen one other streamer do it I've never seen anyone else do it. And it's also one of those games where there's no help online. Like, nobody knows this game. So if you go to the internet and they're like, how do I do this? Am I doing this right? There is nothing. No one knows. (laughs) I think when I finished it, it kind of broke. I don't know if that was just my copy of the game, but um, when you tried to reload the world to like free play, Or no, it's to do the story. Bill was just standing in the ether. (laughs) It was just like a blank scenery which looked like the sky. And he was just standing there and I couldn't move him or anything. (laughs) And I was just like, is this meant to happen? (laughs) The internet didn't know. Nobody knew because clearly no (laughs) one's got to that point before. So (laughs) no. But if you get the chance, you can. I think there is a way to emulate it on PC. I know uh, a friend of mine managed to do so. It is doable otherwise if you do have a ps2 you can get it super cheap (laughs) it's like i got it yeah for about two quid on ebay it was nothing it is funny you know and there's multiplayer and multiplayer has multiple different missions i thought it would just be races but there's a few different things that you can do and me and peachy gave it a go and it was quite funny she was very angry and i actually said are you sure This was a game from your childhood because you don't seem to be enjoying it. Turns out she made me play it because she also thought it was really difficult and she wanted to laugh at me so thanks honey! (laughs) That was lovely! So this comes to the next part of the show, which is where we're each going to pick a game and talk about how we would reboot it, either the game itself or you know, if it's a dead franchise, how you would bring that franchise back. Because I think this is a really interesting thing to think about. I obviously know what I'm going to pitch and everyone listening probably knows because why would I talk about Crash? (laughs) So I'm going to throw it over to somebody else to kickstart this. Uh, So let's go to Andy. Which game would you like to reboot and give us your pitch?
2: Once upon a time, I would have loved a remake of the original Metal Gear games so people could access the story beats in a style more similar to Metal Gear Solid. Mm. Like really at any point during Metal Gear Solid's run, I feel like that would have worked perfectly. But after, I'm just going to grind my axe here, after what (laughs) Konami did to (laughs) Kojima, I don't want them doing anything with Metal Gear. This is fine. These games have Kojima's DNA in them. They deal with all his quirks, his interests, his fears, his Mm. kinks. It's just all there. (laughs) Like Metal Gear is Hideo Kojima. Yeah. And they never let him finish his story. So I don't care about what they do with Metal Gear. So that was, just, that was just one of those things. If they'd let him finish Metal Gear Slide 5 and let him end on his terms where he could pass the torch to somebody else to take over, I would have been fine. Anything mm. they did, did next would have been great. But no, they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> this is fair. Whereas Snapchat, I feel like it's hard because I feel like it would benefit from a polish and a re-release to find a, a bigger audience because it mm. is very much like an old forgotten niche kind of thing from the early 90s. But... I don't think I'd want a full remake. Yeah. I I don't think I'd want them to try and change the genre more specifically. I don't Mm. think if they tried to turn it into a 3D adventure game, I don't think that would (laughs) work for me. Because a big part of its appeal was the visual style Mm. and the gameplay. And if you change it too much, then it's not really letting people discover what was special about it in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the... The good remakes, like the Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 4 remakes, they're updating things, they're polishing things up, but they're not drastically changing how the game feels. Mm -hmm. So you can play those games and you get a good sense of why the original versions were so special to people. And if you change Snatcher too much to be a completely different genre, you're kind of missing the whole point. So I feel like maybe some kind of really high-end remaster where they massively upgrade the graphics the mm. art style but keep the gameplay generally the same the main crux of the game should remain a point and click visual mm. novel and i think that would work because they are such a popular genre now yes and like the phoenix rights games alone are like a yeah. very there's a big audience for those so it wouldn't need much updating to make it accessible to a modern audience mm. the kind of audience that would want to play this game in the first place mm. so i don't feel like you should change it to appeal to people that wouldn't play it have no interest in snatcher or anything like that it needs to be for people that want to play the game but yeah. haven't got the access to it because it's a very hard game to track down <laughs> as for piracy purposes <laughs> so yeah i think a remaster re-release kind of thing that would do good because there is an increased interest in kojima's work since he's worked on metal gear solid and with death stranding mm. it'd be niche but it would be a more mainstream kind of niche I think I could stomach Konami re-releasing a forgotten Kojima classic <laughs> as long as they don't fuck with it too much.
0: Yeah. What about you, Ben? Which of your two games would you like to see revived?
1: So, honestly, I was thinking about this for Fire Emblem and I was like, I wouldn't change that game. <laughs> I like that tactical RPGs. Like, it actually suits it being pixelated because yeah. I don't want that looking lifelike or just more updated. Yeah. So it is Oracle of Ages. Now,
0: nice.
1: I can I just say, I loved this. Like... <laughs> I absolutely loved this because I sat there and some boring ideas came to me at first. Which you know they could Nintendo love to redo the games anyway because yeah. you know they they like money like <laughs> most businesses. Yeah. So they could do it in the style of Link's Awakening, um, mm-hmm. and I thought that's really boring. <laughs> so then I thought maybe they could give it to a developer who's released a, a game that I thought had good Zelda energy. Mm. So I was like, maybe Isometric Corp, who did Tunic. I was like, just uh-huh. give it to them see what they come up with. Yeah. Hmm. And even then I was like, that's still a bit boring. Like, this is <laughs> my pitch. I can go wild with <laughs> this. And... You've
0: got <laughs> bottomless pockets. Let's go. Yeah, so
1: I'm thinking, what I like the idea of, Oracle of Ages, all about going back to the past and then to the present, etc. So I like the idea of keeping the 8-bit look from the Game Boy Color for the past. Ooh. But then in the present, it's more that, it's not even 16-bit, it's more like 32-bit, like, Game Boy Advanced Zelda.
0: Ooh. Where it's still gosh.
1: pixelated, but it's now... It's got so much more colour. Yeah. It's now... Like, I don't know how possible that would be, but I don't care. <laughs> we'll figure it out. That's that's the guy for the... That's the guys in the computers, okay? I, I on big picture it. stuff. <laughs> so the game would pretty much stay the same, graphics-wise. Now... I mean, I say the game would stay the same. In the way that Andy was saying that, you know, some of the, like, Resident Evil 2, great example, reboot that's come out that kind of kept so much of the original while, like, just giving it some quality of life. I propose that we make sweeping changes to Oracle (laughs) of Ages and the Zelda canon, right? So... The original game, there was meant to be three games originally. Mm. Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, and then a third one, which they just binned because trying to get three games to all kind of, like, connect to each other and stuff, it was a pain. But the idea was that each of the games represented a piece of the Triforce. So you had Nintendo, they had Oracle of Seasons, which was meant to be Power, the mm. action-adventure game, Oracle of Ages, which was um, Courage, which was more Puzzle, and then Wisdom, which wasn't released. Now, I think that's bullshit. <laughs> 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 so, I propose that we just scrap that canon and we make Oracle of Seasons the courage game because that's all about adventure and action. And we make Oracle of Ages the wisdom game, and in doing so use it to soft launch Zelda as the playable character. Oh. So the way it works in s- Seasons and Ages is Link touches the Triforce. Um I think it's like at the end of A Link to the Past or following that, and then depending on which game you play you get transported to either one and then do the other one after that. That doesn't make sense to me. I say we send Link to where Seasons takes place and we send Zelda to the place where she's messing with time because that's a very Zelda thing to do. Mm. She's she's always got magical abilities. It's always about time. And like her going back and forth between the past and the present, solving puzzles and making friends with animals and not having too much combat Mm. sounds more of like a Zelda game. I think she should have her own game. Yeah, But I like this idea of this being a soft launch for her. And then, it you know, the third game, which they'd never do, would then be the Ganondorf game. <laughs> um, you know, or you you complete, complete both of them, and then you've got this big fight at the end or whatever, which is Ganondorf, who's been off playing the third game, getting really powerful. But yeah, I, I like the idea of just completely changing that and getting Zelda involved.
2: Because
1: mm. she's, mi- I think, I mean, she's missing from this game so far for me. I'm sure she'll pop up at the end, but... <laughs> Probably is like a damsel in distress. It is her like, <laughs> Yeah, like probably is like a damsel in distress, which makes no sense to me. But you could even like play around with it. You could be able to like play certain bits of the games like Sheik. You know, when she needs to go into dungeons, yeah. maybe she goes into like warrior mode. You know, yeah. and it's more of a stealthy experience. That's my pitch. We we get rid of Link. <laughs> <laughs> Link
2: get rid of Link.
1: <laughs> somehow have it's eight bit and thirty two bit, and have Zelda as the main character. I like. And we'll it. just call it the Legend of Zelda because Zelda. that's who the playable character <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we could call it the Legend of Link. Yeah, the Legend you know, of Link. That makes sense <laughs> and confuse people.
0: I like it. Considering the fact that Peach is uh, presumably getting a new game, you know, yes, big up the girls getting their lead roles. Let's go. Come on, Nintendo. Give us an actual Legend of Zelda with Zelda in the title role.
1: It's long overdue. <laughs>
0: it is long overdue. So surprising no one, I'm not going to tell you all why Crash should be rebooted or remastered because he already has, hey! And it was really good, so I have no complaints about Crash except I really want someone else to buy Crash so that he's not stuck with Activision and Blood anymore. But yes, Sitting Ducks. I want to see Sitting Ducks come back. This game had so much charm and it was definitely rough around many of its edges, I don't think it had a smooth edge. I'd love to see somebody take it take it on and just give it a fresh shiny coat of paint, because it looks very much like an old PS2 game, in fact it looks borderline PS2, PS1 game, so just really filling in that city, you know, giving it more life, more depth, because it was very basic. More places that you could go in. Basically, I just want it to be like GTA, but with ducks. So my pitch to revive it is literally just to take what's already there and just really, really polish it up. Really bring it forward. Make it bigger, make it better. But not too big, because I don't like the biggest open world games where you'll just get lost and die. Just make it expand upon it perhaps a bit more variety with some of its missions I don't think I would want to see them completely remake the original one just because the way it works with having these episodes I feel like it would be nice to kind of expand upon that and just do more you could come up with more stories or maybe someone would do their research and go back to the tv show and pull out even more from that more lore create more Um, basically I'm just going to say more a lot more what was already there but more and you know tidy up that camera please <laughs> please and also i think it would really benefit from the old improvements in graphics anyway like things like draw distance because hopefully then you won't have someone on a scooter pop in right in front of you and just scare the crap out of you but hey maybe you want a horror aspect to it i don't know but my my pitch would is very simple because it's just what we had before but more um and just a lot shinier i feel like it's a market that i think i think people would enjoy people love gta anyway but this kind of has a bit more a bit more whimsy to it if you will it it can have the story beats it can has the bits that make you think it's like gta but for kids but who doesn't want that who doesn't love that idea you know you could play it multiplayer more perhaps online multiplayer couch co-op multiplayer Something that families can enjoy together or you can enjoy with your friends as a laugh. I mean, I know for a definite fact that if I were to boot up Sitting Ducks, a new version, with my friends, they would definitely play it with me. I I don't think I would take much persuasion, even Peachy. But yes, bigger, better... Brighter coloured, more detail, I feel like it's something that you could easily bring back and definitely a modern audience could really get on board with this. It's weird because I know that I got very angry at the game at multiple times, but I've learned about myself. If I get really angry at a game, I'm angry at myself (laughs) more so than the game. I'm frustrated the game is winning and I'm like, no, this is not acceptable. I will beat this game.
1: I mean, GTA with ducks has me sold.
0: Literally, right? Like, like, what
1: one more do you want? Like, <laughs> I think playing as a human in a GTA I don't feel great, just like running around stealing cars and stuff. But playing as a duck, I don't think <laughs> I care. Yeah, fuck, it's, it's a duck, you know. <laughs> it can just cause chaos. I can do nice things.
0: I mean, really- they could, they could make geese. You could have geese in it, and they could be like your proper scary cult member of geese that just like trying to rule the streets they're the villains of this piece and your Um, lovely bill who's the nicest duck around has to defeat these horrible geese with the help of aldo the alligator you know i'm writing a story here let's go
1: (laughs) gets caught up in some geese scheme and now like you know he's wanted by them he's just trying to do his good deeds (laughs)
0: i've sold it i think yep let's go (laughs) And that will do us for our first episode of Retro Reboot. I hope you guys enjoyed it, our dance through the nostalgia and how we could maybe even bring it forward into the modern era. Let us know in either comments of whatever you listen to your podcast on or over on our social medias if you would buy any of our new rebooted games. We would love to hear from you, we always love to hear from you guys. Um, so, on that note, social media! We where can you find me? I am Orange and Peachy. You can find me on Twitch I stream under Orange and Peachy and all my other social medias are attached to my Twitch page I can't remember them so they're there for perusing Um, Andy, where can everyone find you?
2: I am on Twitter or X or whatever the fuck it's called these days. Uh, (laughs) Truly underscore defective. I'm on blue sky but uh, I think it's just truly defective one word but I don't use that really right now very fancy. What
0: about you, Ben?
1: I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Twitch very occasionally um, as Duke of Benningham. Very rarely on Twitch, but occasionally I'll just be on there speedrunning some Slay the Spire. Do
0: I follow you on Twitch? I might have to check that. I might not follow you I'm never
1: online, time. so don't worry.
0: <laughs> I, I want to follow everyone. I Follow everyone on Twitch. And, uh, of course, if you want more from us, you can find us on is it X now? I think it is X now, isn't it? This is called Twitter. Okay. <laughs> uh, our damn medias. their branding. Yeah, I won't call it X. I refuse. It's Twitter, and it will always be Twitter. <laughs> you can find us under on One Up Pod. That's one U P P odd with one D on the social medias. Please do get in contact with us. Tweet us. Well, I don't even know what it is now. X us. It just sounds weird. With what you think of this episode, this new series. Uh, and yeah let us know which retro games you go back to or ones that you even want to check out and maybe we will have never heard of them and you might strike our fancy <laughs> but, but yes thank you so much and um, please like follow did people say subscribe anymore i don't know to whichever social media platform you uh listen to us on because it really does help us a lot and yeah thank you again so much for listening i've been orange bumbling my way through this and we'll see you again on another episode in the future don't forget to get a life and play retro video games